attitude over ability any day. Um, if somebody has a good attitude and a desire to take risk, uh, express interest, just ask questions. Um, so often people go like, well, I'm just doing because my boss said do this, move it from this location to that location. Why don't you ask a question of why? Because the process has changed and you're still doing something that that's archaic. Um, so again, initiative wins every day. This is the Women of American Manufacturing podcast, where we highlight female leaders and influencers who are revolutionizing the industry. In every episode, we explore each guest's journey into manufacturing, their vision for the future of American manufacturing, and the innovation, creativity, and communication that they bring to the industry. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Women of American Manufacturing podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Athanasiu. Going to kick things off a little differently today um, and welcome our guests by speaking a different language. So, Zdrasvite, Kaktela, and Kaktebazevut. Очень приятно, Lindsay. Меня зовут Наталья Сефтон, and I'm very happy to be here. And for those who do not know what that means, you were just asking uh, my name. <laughs> and uh, I'm Natalia Sefton, and I'm pleased to be on this podcast. And I'm pleased you're here. So thanks so much for taking time and uh, for indulging my very rudimentary Russian. I don't really get to practice it often, so it's awesome to have a native Russian speaker on the podcast today. You're doing awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here and um, being being um, willing to talk about your, your background and how you got to where you are today. Um, so as the president and CEO of MNR Engineering, which is an awesome uh, manufacturer out in the West Coast, would love for you to tell a little bit about that role um, as it stands today, what you do, what your shop does, um, and then we'll kind of dig in from there. Does that sound all right? Yes, yeah, sounds like a great plan. Perfect. All right. So tell me about what you do at MNR Engineering. Uh, sure. MNR Engineering is a precision machining company. Uh, we've been in business since 1973. Um, clearly not all, all under my leadership. I've owned MNI Engineering since uh, 2018. Um, we specialize in precision machine metal and plastic components. Uh, and we have Swiss, mill, lathe, as well as a Davenport screw machine um, department. Uh, so we're very diversified. We do work for uh, high volume, low mix, and um, low volume, high mix products. Excellent. And um, how big is the team today? Uh, we're close to 70 employees um, wow. over two shifts. Uh, so we kind of 24-6, um, I would say, coverage. Um, it's um, It's been a very interesting experience, and uh, we're really happy to serve our clients that helped us grow over the years and uh, develop uh, into a company that we're today. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get to that point today? Take us back, because I know you've had an interesting journey as an immigrant um, and really putting yourself through school and making your way through an engineering STEM world. And yeah, I think it's an incredibly inspiring story. So I'd love for you to start from sure. way back and uh, bring us to, to today. Not not that there's a long way to travel. You're not that old. But. Yeah, well, yeah, quite, quite a few years. But yes, I'd like to start way back. Um, I do have an interesting story. I came to uh, America um, when I was 17, 
graduated from high school and uh, came here. Um, I came to study business. Um, as a interesting international student, I quickly realized that there are so many people um, who are studying business who are from America, and I, clearly I wanted to stay in America and get a job and uh, immigrate. Um, one day, um, I transferred to computer science and um, applied. I started in a community college, and during my uh, application process, I said, well, computer science, that's something a little more challenging. I'm good in math. Russians are usually good at math and sciences. Um, but by the time I was transferring, I tried computer science, and I said, man, this is just translation. I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. I like people... Uh, at that point, I was at USC, um, and I had an opportunity to transition to industrial and systems engineering, and this is where my passion lies. I love solving complex problems, boiling them down to action items, executing action items, making adjustments, and I'm, I say about myself as I'm an eternal problem solver, so <laughs> in my current role, I have lots of opportunity in every aspect. Uh, I love to that. solve problems and um, have fun. Yeah, you kind of um, have to be, right? Yeah, you, you have to be. Um, engineering is a great field. There are lots of um, opportunities and uh, there's lots of problems to solve. And there were no problems, we wouldn't be in business. While I, while I was at USC, um, I um, graduated a um, few years after um, and uh, I started my career. I did a few assignments and uh, consulting. Uh, and I never wanted to do hard sciences. I never dreamed about uh, doing uh, hardcore engineering and running a factory. Uh, so I worked for a few consulting companies and um, interviewed for a few bigger ones. I started off um, in a smaller shop, about five people, and they were doing some process improvement consulting and MRP implementation. And I got a call from um, one of the people at Alcoa um, that I did an internship during my senior year and they said, hey, we have this person who needs a, an engineering per, uh, engineering methods engineer to help them and they started a new job and I said, well, why not? It's a big company, something I can totally do and I um, transitioned into working for Alcoa and um, few years goes by and I had lots of opportunities and advancement opportunities and um, I became a general manager uh, of the facility that I interned <laughs> 10 years before that. So very interesting story um, in terms of uh, opportunities in the manufacturing company, working for the big company and proving yourself over and over again so that you can be at the table making decisions. Um, and, you know, being a woman in a very heavily male-dominated environment. Um, but I did it. Um, fast forward to five years ago, I got a call from a recruiter while I was a general manager for Alcoa, Alcoa Fastening Systems. And then the recruiter said, hey, I have this person who is looking to retire and... Um, to, they're looking to find a CEO who can run their business and they would sell that business in a few years. And I said, really? Like, is this a real thing? <laughs> it just sounds too good to be true. Um, yeah, that sounds like spam. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to 
go down the rabbit hole, see what happens. And um, I had the interviews, um, and it was a real thing. Um, Dick Wilmot, who owned M&R Engineering before me, and he owned the company for a long time, 25 years, I'd say. Um, he was looking to retire. He had two daughters, um, and at the time they were finishing high school, and one was a, a first year or second year nursing school. Um, she, she's very successful. She's a nurse pr practitioner now and, you know, has her own practice. Um, in five years, she's done great, but they were not interested. You know, he had, he, he loved the manufacturing. Um, uh, he loved the company, but he was at the retirement age and he wanted to find somebody to pass on the business to, and he cared about his employees. He didn't want to sell to private equity and just, you know, give away all of his employees, long 10 year employees who helped him get where he was and run a risk of having them be let go for synergies, <laughs> find cost savings to justify the acquisition. So he, he went with the more conservative way of hiring somebody and selling the business. So uh, it's been a great experience for me um, working in a big company where you had lots of resources and lots of politics and transition is a smaller company where you make all the decisions but yet you know the buck stops with you <laughs> so you really have to make sure that you're confident in what you're doing and you ultimately are responsible for those 70 employees and their families and all the vendors that work for you so at some point you know when we did a count it's like 400 some people and um and families and you you better make good decisions yeah, no pressure. No pressure. But when I came here, you know, when I was 16, 17, with one suitcase, I never dreamed about running my own company. And uh, now I'm here. And I think it's a great story looking in backwards um, in the rearview mirror. It's been a great ride and I can't complain about it. So I'd love to share share my story, experiences and challenges. It's incredible. I mean, that is like the epitome of the American dream. That's why people come here. That's why parents make the sacrifices to send their kids here or to uproot themselves from a comfortable life and, and start from close to nothing when they come here. So yeah, absolutely. It's it's incredible. And for you to have done that in an industry, like you said, that is so male dominated um, and, and in many ways old fashioned and not as forward thinking as the fields that you were pursuing, right? But you bring you bring a passion for those things and for automation and for using technology to improve the industry. So I definitely want to talk about that and how you have changed the business since you purchased it. Um, but I want to also call back to um, what you were saying about your experience at Alcoa and really proving yourself time and time again. What what did you do to climb up there and, and actually prove yourself? You know, what were the opportunities you were given or that you created for yourself? And how did you do that to get ultimately, you know, this opportunity? Sure. I'm always, I, I'm a strong believer that you make your own path. Um, you create your own destiny. And I heard the other day, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So I never believed in luck um, until now. And then I look at my you know, my story. And I say, well, you know, some people may just say you were really lucky. Um, and I say, well, I really worked hard. Nobody sees the hours you put in, you know, many years I worked till, you know, 10, 12 at night and month end closes. Some people who are in the manufacturing, they know what, what that is. <laughs> There's always a big push to make a quarter or make a month. And, 
you just start all over again. Um, and that's some of the perks of being in manufacturing that clean clothes and uh, refresh. Uh, you get to make some mistakes and <laughs> you get to try it all over again. Um, but yeah, I think um, I've always worked hard. Um, I never said, hey, this is something I cannot handle. And I always had my hand up saying, hey, um, I'm ready for next opportunity. I was very clear uh, with many of my bosses and communicating all the way through the organization that I would want to have an opportunity uh, to prove myself and do right and um, do better. Um, and I've gotten those opportunities along the way. And nothing was easy. You know, there were some fights and some discussions. And I had some bosses along the way that um, didn't want me to advance. Um, they were very comfortable uh, to where they were and where I was. I was delivering on my commitments and they um, held me back. But, you know, I found a way to um, go a different route, transfer departments or uh, have conversation at a different level. Um, so um, I think also one of my experiences is that um, I got lucky again <laughs> and early on in my um, job, I think it was my first job, I had a champion who gave me the opportunity um, to present to a president of the organization. I was uh, barely, you know, barely out of school first year, um, very junior engineer, putting together routers and putting together um, bills of material for those who's manufacturing and uh, <laughs> comfortably understand what that is. That's a very, very junior responsibility doing time studies with a stopwatch on the shop floor. And here we come, um, some executive um, putting together a presentation uh, for market growth. And he told me, hey, you know, I really need your help. Um, can you put this together? Let's work on this together. And uh, we're going to take this product line from this number, very aggressive growth over the next 10 years. And um, by the way, um, doing such a good job, why don't you just present it to the president of the organization? And I was like, seriously, you want me to do this? <laughs> I don't think I'm qualified. He said, no, you're totally qualified. You can do it. Didn't you do some presentations in college? <laughs> Didn't you have high Some grades? presentations, yeah. <laughs> like, well, this is it's not totally the, the same. same this is a real life. <laughs> there are lives of people <laughs> depending on this. But I did it. I worked my hardest because I had this opportunity. And um, I really think that champion's action really put me on the map in the organization. Um, and I tried to do similar things in my career. I try to give people who work for me opportunities and um, I think, you know, I, I hope that they can say that um, I am one of the factors why they get, you know, they are successful in, in their endeavors. That's awesome to, to pay it forward, to, to recognize that that was a piece of luck, right? I think we can safely say that the majority of your career was not due to luck, but there's this one thing that you could say you got lucky. It was time and place that there was someone who was what, ready to advocate for you, but I'm sure you worked for him to believe you could do something like that and you earned that opportunity from him. So only a teeny bit of luck there. Um, but yeah, to pay it forward and to, to recognize that that's something that you want to do for others, I think that makes a true leader. And that's why you have a team that's, you know, proud to work for you at MNR. So that's great. So I remember, you know, Absolutely. in our first conversation, Natalia, you talked a little bit about, you know, when you were in that role and you, you were young, um, you were managing people pretty early on and, um, 
it was an opportunity that you took to be able to ask more questions and to approach it with curiosity because mm-hmm. when you're young, you're looked at as if you, you don't know as much as everyone else, um, but you can kind of take that angle with it. So is that something you coach now into your staff, the younger people that you're bringing into MNR? Well, in my story, I think I was managing people barely as I got my drive, uh, my uh, 21, 21st birthday. So I could barely drink. I was already managing people and who were a lot grayer than me. Um, Did you have your direct like, reports take you out to beers on your <laughs> 21st right, birthday? Right. It's like man- man- managing your parents, right? It's a, it's a challenge. It's an eternal, <laughs> eternal struggle. But um, the pro- and, and the same thing, you know, I'm not a machinist. So managing a machine shop where there are a lot of people have lots of experience and understanding of what's the right thing to do. Um, and how to make more parts and how to make good parts. Um, so I always took an opportunity to ask questions. So being being an engineer, even before I was managing people, I always uh, try to get people involved in solving the problem uh, rather than telling somebody how to do something. So I, I do that to this day. And I, uh, I think it's important to create not only just a collaboration and buy-in into the resolution, whatever the problem that you're trying to resolve, but also um, to improve the morale of the organization. Um, It is a lot easier to do something together than to do something when you don't believe in in the activity that you're actually ready to embark on. Um, So yeah, I preach it, I share it with my team, um, and I I think it works. for me, it worked and it works for my employees as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like a true like engineer scrum mentality, you know, like just get your hands dirty, yeah. figure it out. Um, that's awesome. So so flat, fast forward to today um, in, in MNR, you know, with what you've done since you took over to solve more problems, but to use technology to do so. So tell me a little bit about like your philosophy around that and then actual things you've done um, to bring the shop even further into the 21st century. Sure, sure. Um, I truly believe in um, most efficient way, you know, we have to add value to our um, customers. So how do you add value to our customers? Um, you can deliver fastest, you can deliver cheapest you can deliver best quality but how do you find that trifecta um, where you achieving most of those milestones at the same time so i truly believe in process management so building quality in versus inspecting quality out um, is very important um, and you know i'm eternally looking for technology to help me get there um, and also trying to solve for um, challenges like labor challenge, right? Um, During the whole COVID, the first thing I did, and my employees thought I was crazy, purchased a robot. When the COVID hit, (laughs) everybody's like, what are we going to do? Who's going to work? I said, I do not know. I have no answers to any of your questions, but we are going to buy a robot. (laughs) Fast forward, yes, we have some... uh, Growing pains, we went through them. Uh, we have also some product mix challenges. We are high, um, high mix, low volume. So this is not the best robotics uh, environment, but 
hey, I think it's very important to have the resources um, and to strive to provide the stability to your customer because you cannot just tell your customer, hey, you know what, the Bobby on line two didn't show up today, so now we're not going to deliver your product on time. You have to have other solutions. Um, and robotics was a solution for us. Um, also, does your robot have a name? Well, we call him Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, <laughs> it's <an> Obi Seven, <laughs> uh, but that. he doesn't have an imprinted on him. But that's that's the yeah. covert. <laughs> I love that. I like asking that question as people, you know, purchase more and more robots and cobots. So what, what is his, what is Obi's role on the floor? His role is to load parts, secondary operation on the lathe. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, kind of fully automated um, live tooling lathe machines uh, where you don't need to do secondary, but there's some parts where require a lot of tools. Uh, they, uh, so you, you're forced to use secondary operation uh, or maybe we're doing something after milling or maybe after swiss uh, and his job is to load parts on the machine take them from the table and put them in the machine and the operator is able to not only program the robot uh, but also um, man the other machine maybe doing the setup or woman <laughs> the machine doing the setup uh, or running another part and at the same time kind of working in tandem with a robot. We, we like to say that, you know, this is an assistant operator assistant rather than operator replacement because the reality is it's impossible to find people right now. So nobody's replacing anybody. <laughs> it's just how do you grow um, with the stability and predictability um, that technology can offer. So that's one of the ways that kind of we solve the uh, technology problem. The other is always looking for ways to find better, faster equipment. And every year in MNR Engineering, we, we purchase equipment that uh, replace obsolescence or purchase equipment for customer needs. We have a few customers that require bigger parts. So we went ahead and bought some do-sons that can provide us bigger working envelope. Um, we're lo looking at uh, horizontal milling right now. That's another solution to take the vertical milling and really step it up in technology. Um, that can offer uh, open doors up to additional business. Uh, so as a business owner, or if it's a manufacturing specialist, <laughs> manufacturing engineer or engineering manager, you have a responsibility to constantly move your organization forward. And yes, it is uncomfortable. And yes, there's some risks. And yes, you will make mistakes and potentially uh, have some additional costs, but you plan and you... Uh, prepare for change and you get your team on board. So when that technology is ready to be delivered, you're all ready to get installed. I mean, we're pretty comfortable. We've delivered and installed some equipment and brought it online within weeks, um, which I think is pretty good. I mean, ours would be better, but, <laughs> but so far we can do it in a week. Yeah. Yesterday would be yeah. ideal, right? But so what would you say, you kind of alluded to this, you know, there's a whole process that you go through for the change management aspect, but what would you say is the toughest part, you know, as a leader of a manufacturing firm, um, trying to bang that drum of, you know, efficiency, technology adoption, you know, being, being an early adopter, it sounds like you're kind of defining yourself as, um, wh what is the biggest challenge as you are trying to, to continue that and bring new things in? I think ultimately you're dealing with people and people do not like change. Uh, as much as I'm personally saying, hey, let's change, 
Have you ever gone through the Apple upgrade <laughs> or switch your phone? There is this uncomfortable, you know, millisecond or milliweek or whatever you want to call it, where you're going like, oh God, now I have to learn the whole thing all over again. So imagine each one of your employees having to deal with, except it's a, you, you flipping their whole world upside down. They've been coming to this machine. They have a name for their machine or maybe two names, <laughs> the good days and bad days. And now you have to just change the whole thing. Um, easy for management to say, hey, here's a financial number. We are going to get 10%, 20% productivity improvement. It's, it's all easy. All of that part, justification, selecting the equipment, all easy, uh, getting the management buy in somewhat okay, but then having the employees actually buy into the process and believe that, yes, this short-term pain is going to be long-term gain because at the end of the day, I can make more parts or my life will be easier um, or I can be more productive and I can learn new skill. So finding those um, buying opportunities early on in the process, bringing the employees into checking out the equipment early on in the process and then having them be part of the solution rather than part of the problem along the way goes a long way in the success of implementation. Absolutely. And is this something you learned, you know, just in your multiple roles and, and, you know, as a leader for so much of your career, is this something you learned in in business school? Like where would you say you amassed this? Yeah. No trial and error. Yeah. (laughs) Good old trial and error. There are books on change management, but at the end of the day, um, you, I mean, I've, I've been working in manufacturing for over 20 years, so I'm trying, I'm an eternal um, problem solver, so I try to do better every time. So now we have operators going to buy off the machines, not just the management, not just the engineer. It's actually the level of the operator who's going to have to make this work, right? Um, and I think it's a, it's a, Great feeling to see operators actually coming to me and saying, oh, thank you very much for the new machine. It's so much better because of X. It's so much easier to change tools and oh, my tools are lasting longer. That is a great benefit that you can get from proper change management process. Um, and it's you know great to see that it's working. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Um, so another another you know, technology that I know you adopted was paperless parts, but you were, you were really ahead of the curve, um, adopting the software over a year ago. And I'm always interested to hear what that process was like in terms of the change management aspect, because you are asking people who are, you know, quoting is their life and so much of it lives up here, or they have their own spreadsheet that they're very, they can be protective of, you know, cause they've mastered this science, this art and science over the course of years. And to then, you know, put it into a system that can do it faster and that more people can be involved with, you know, there can be a lot of sensitivities and, and personalities involved with that. So do you have any tips based on what you all learned, you know, adopting the software pretty early on um, for shops that are now starting to look at it and, and figure out how that could work for them? Well, I think Paperless offers a couple aspects. One is a workflow. Um, so my biggest pain point being the business owner is that I was not responsible for the whole quoting, but I would approve the process and then I would interfere, interface with, hopefully not interfere, but interface with the customers. Um, so always knowing where the quote is at any given time was my biggest pain point. 
And it took, yes, we've been with Paperless for a year and a half, but I looked at it way earlier when when um, Paperless was just becoming what it is right now. Uh, and I said, you know, that's a really good solution because I know where my quote is, what the status is at any given time. And eventually when, you know, I had few people I had uh, to get on board, um, and especially those who were most skeptical are benefiting the most right now, right? So putting all those spreadsheets and um, books into paperless and loading our, our shop logic into the system um, benefited tremendously because now we can get more quotes done. Uh, our goal is to get them done in 24 hours. We're not quite there yet. Um, the biggest, I think, advantage, the second biggest advantage of paperless is that uh, you can quote directly from the solid models. Uh, and a lot of our customers are kind of like old school where they have um, PDF prints. Um, so we're trying to work around that and trying to figure out how we can truly take advantage of the system and where the system can really quote itself. Um, and we can, um, you know, just fine tune the process and hopefully get a quicker um, turnaround so that we can get more business. Yeah, that, that's awesome to hear. I, I love that little soundbite. I want to make sure that that gets uh, tr translated back to some of our team because you just said that the people who are the most skeptical are now benefiting the most. So when technology can do that, you know, like really change someone's mind about something, I I get pumped up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... That's our job, to find those little kernels that we can accelerate. Uh, the reality is, you know, yes, we're all competing against each other who can do it faster, better, better cheaper. Um, but yes, you can read a book about it. You can listen to podcasts to it. But at the end of the day is how hard you work. The reward is based on that. Um, and if you can implement something and you can be the best and you can take the risk of buying some technology that you're not quite sure how it's going to work and then figuring out how to make it work for your shop, that's going to be an advantage to you and that's going to be an advantage to your customer. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, I just want to say thank you for being not just a customer, Natalia, but an early adopter because I could probably <laughs> go and check and I, I'm pretty sure you guys are among the first 50 customers of ours, the first 50 quoting customers. So, I mean, that is huge based on where we've come since then. And the fact that we probably didn't even give you a customer reference at that point. I don't know if you spoke to another shop using Paperless at the time, but we've obviously been able to grow because of customers like you who are confident enough to try it early on and um, stick stick with us. So thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. Likewise. So I'm curious, um, in terms of like industry perceptions, because you did mention to me when we first chatted that, you know, you never expected to be, to be in manufacturing. And you said, you know, when you came to the US, you never expected to own a shop. I love that. You know, it's it's sort of this like nonlinear path journey that a lot of my guests have experienced in different ways. Um, it's really common, I think, especially among women who maybe didn't even start in STEM, but have ended up in manufacturing. So, you know, coming from the outside, now being in for 20 years, you know, what is a commonly held misperception that either you had before or you hear pretty often now from outside the industry that you would like to dispel? Well, I think one of the misperceptions is that um, manufacturing is a very dirty environment. So, We've come a long way. There are uh, water-based coolants out there. 
uh, the sound enclosures and you know the the mist collector systems are a lot better than they were years before yes is it still as a clean environment i mean there are clean rooms too in manufacturing so if you're in the medical field uh it's pretty clean out there <laughs> uh but in general manufacturing is not that dirty um it's a hard core business um hard head business in some some instances uh, but on the CNC shop, it's, you know, fairly not noisy. Your machine's making a lot of parts, um, and it's fun. The other misconception, I think, is that um, manufacturing is very mundane. So you do the same thing over and over and over again. Yes, there are some jobs that are very repetitive, and those are the best candidates to get optimized with uh, technology like robotics, uh, but then there are many other jobs, uh, setting up of the machines, programming the machines, uh, dealing with the logistics, procurement, um, material handling, um, I don't know, tool um, optimization that are very, very dynamic. And um, it's fun. There are so many opportunities for our employees um, that I think we need to kind of reevaluate the whole manufacturing industry. And we need to do a lot better job advertising and educating people. You know, Amazon does a great job uh, saying, you know, we pay you more to move the product from one location to the other. Why can't manufacturing industry come together and do something better? Because we're not just moving product from one location to the other. We are adding value and we're creating products from scratch, from raw material. Uh, everyday consumer items um, in your vehicle, on your doors, uh, in your computers that are done by shops somewhere around the world. So why not talk about it? Why not motivate our children or um, that will be the future of American manufacturing and break so from, through some of those misconceptions um, so that we can turn manufacturing around? Totally. It, it's um, a very common answer. We get to that question because it is probably the number one problem. And everyone feels it right now because of the labor shortage. The, the younger generations were not taught that manufacturing is a really cool career path. And they might still think based on their parents' perceptions that it is dirty. Meanwhile, I've been in shops recently where I would eat lunch off the floor. Like it is spotless. They're like wiping their shoes down before they even step onto the shop floor. It's crazy to me. Um, they're like the most cutting edge, impressive places ever. So I completely agree. And um, yeah, there needs to be more more productive work done to change that because we'll have we'll continue to have millions of open roles in this industry if that's not addressed very soon. Right, and you have to address them either with technology or better education. I mean, the other part too. Uh, back in the days when, you know, families say, yes, my father and my grandfather worked in the manufacturing company. And we're talking about like big mills and somebody where they did the same job for 20, 30 years with the unions and everything. Now the manufacturing industry is so different. Uh, you know, we have, we, we have some employees that move through the company at the speed of light, I would say, even looking at my career and how many opportunities, you know, every few years I got another opportunity. You know, I have a person who started off while going to college um, and started off operating now saw 
literally taking a bar and cutting it into three foot or four foot, three foot or four foot, um, to man so that we can feed our lathe machines. And, you know, five years later, now he's an assistant office manager. I mean, it's, he had showed the initiative. He was able to learn. He had the capability to learn. And we given him every opportunity that came along uh, and made some positions so that he can advance in the organization. So to say that it's like boring or uh, dead-end jobs, I cannot agree less. <laughs> I completely agree with you that there's so much more opportunity than people immediately perceive. Um, and there's just, there's movement, there's opportunity to move laterally, to move cross-functionally, to move up really fast if you just demonstrate that initiative, like like you did, obviously, and your colleague did. Yeah, initi- initiative is the key. Um, attitude, you know, attitude over ability any day. Um, if somebody has a good attitude and a desire to take risk, uh, express interest, just ask questions. Um, so often people go like, well, I'm just doing because my boss said, do this, move it from this location to that location. Why are you doing this? Well, somebody at some point told me to do it. Why don't you ask a question of why? Because that's obsolete now. The process has changed and you're still doing something that that's archaic. Um, so again, initiative wins every day. I think that's going to be the name of this episode. That's awesome. (laughs) So... What does it mean to you, Natalia, to be a woman in manufacturing? Uh, to me, being anybody in manufacturing means being the best. Um, I never look at my opportunities or anybody's successes and are you a woman or you're a man or how do you identify? Um, for me, it's always about working hard and uh, taking risks uh, and knowing when one door closes and now the one opens. Those opportunities, you know, going back to my story, I never thought I'd be in manufacturing. Um, I never wanted to be in manufacturing. I stayed away from those (laughs) classes, but the opportunity presented itself, and I said, well, you know, there must be something um, for me here, and then I took that opportunity, and I loved it. Um, So recognizing when those opportunities happen, I think is very important to be successful. On that note, you said, you know, when one door opens, another, or when one door closes, another door opens. Where do you see MNR engineering in 10 years? Not that any doors are closing right now, but curious, you know, because you're, you're always open to new opportunities and, and um, things changing and evolving. So, yeah, what's your vision? Yeah, I think uh, in 10 years, MNR engineering continues to be in a well recognized contract manufacturer um, in machining world. Uh, we're probably at $35 million in revenue, just to throw the number out there, um, just because, you know, it's end of the year and we're doing our strategic thinking. Um, and I think we do it through technology and we do it through people development. Um, we, any company can say, yeah, I'm going to pay more and steal a person from my competition. Um, but it is challenging to bring somebody in and teach them how your company, what's your culture, how do you do things. So I really put a lot of value into developing people from within and giving them opportunity to advance in the organization. Um, So yeah, to answer your question, we are going to be bigger than where we are right now. That is an excellent answer. And I'm going to check back in 10 years and see where you're at. (laughs) And we can do a 
we can do a 10-year anniversary episode of this podcast because the podcast will be bigger than it is right now. And I like uh, to think of that continuity. So on that note, um, are you ready to move into our rapid fire questions? Sure. Sure. Are you ready? Awesome. I I think so. Unless you're going to like drop some bombs on me, which I always love. So yeah, if you have any surprises up your sleeve, bring it. All right. So um, Natalia, who is one famous person you wish would work in manufacturing with you? George Clooney. <laughs> I can make assumptions about why, but I'm going to let you say why. I just think he's funny. He has kids. I have kids. I totally relate when he talks about his children and how hilarious it is. Yeah. And he has young, young kids too, young right? Kids and I do too. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids? Um, I have three. I have a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a 10-month-old. Oh, my goodness. So sleep is uh, sleep something is optional. you're maybe not familiar with. <laughs> in, the, in the last six years, I've learned how to operate and minimum out of sleep. So I'm... Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm operating. That, I hope the older two are helpful with the baby. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's fun time at at my house and um the first two had a very they had a year and a half in between each other so it was really tough now it's kind of a little easier and it's it's so much fun my 10 month old walks already so to watch her chasing my older kids and it's it's a chaos (laughs) at our house but it's fun yeah that sounds amazing i love that all right next question uh favorite blog or podcast uh everything and anything with ian septon (laughs) Um, who is is my husband (laughs) yes yes just want to close the loop there what what does he blog or uh, podcast about uh anything and everything um he 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 likes technology so um we're a family of entrepreneurs and um he has a um data attribution company it's a it's a marketing making marketing data really work um so he started a podcast and um it's fun it's fun to see <laughs> it's fun to hear him outside of a home environment <laughs> yeah you get to hear and, and see a totally different side so what is the name of of that podcast so we can recommend it here everything in ancient with the inception oh Got it. Okay. <laughs> awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. What is the last movie you watched? Uh, Elf. Uh, it's holiday season. <laughs> and that's my one of my favorite movies um, for the holidays. So, It's a classic. Yeah. Great recommendation. Um, do you have any pets? I had a pet. He was my best bud. Um, fortunately, he passed away a few years back and uh, I decided to have more kids <laughs> instead of pets. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Was it a dog? Yes, he was American Bulldog. He was oh. awesome and uh, everybody loved him. My, two of my kids had an opportunity to meet him and he's still, his picture's all over our house and he was just the best kind of, he was a super uh, active dog, but at the same time when you brought him home, he was just like couch potato. He would just yeah. chill and follow <laughs> you around and he was awesome. His name oh, was yeah. Torque. So you can see some of uh, some of the nerdiness in his name. That's a really clever name, Torque the Bulldog. What a cutie he must have been. Yeah. Um, what is the last vacation you took? Hawaii. Um, we love to vacation in Hawaii, and uh, we went there in summer uh, with the kids, and it was great. Which island? 
Maui. This time we went to Maui and uh, Kihei area by Wailea, and we enjoy it tremendously. Although, you know, six months old, it's kind of a uh, child. It's kind of hard to enjoy anything, but I had great walks on the beach and <laughs> um, great weather, and it was great. That sounds lovely. Yeah, you got to just find those moments and those things to appreciate. And, and it can't be too hard when you're in Hawaii to, to find those moments. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's our favorite place to take vacation in. Meanwhile, it's like 34 degrees out here in uh, the Boston area as I look out my window. So, Yeah, it's only 60-something and it's cold for California. Only so the 60. Next, yeah. you know, the, the next, <laughs> next few weeks we have winter. <laughs> We have a colleague who works um, just north of San Diego, and he likes to, every time we have a call, like remind us of how sunny and nice it is out there. And we're like, well, we chose to live in Boston, so we're okay with it. But yes. yeah, that sounds nice. You have seasons. We do. We right? do. Yeah. So there's some, something's going for you. Yeah. And I lived in Russia for many years, right? 17 years. Yeah, you paid your due. In my life, I remember those cold days where you come home and your toes are tingling because uh it was so cold outside yeah i think i think you but earned this weather now california. in california <laughs> yeah you definitely earned that um what is your favorite food natalia i like sushi i love food uh sushi is one of those uh, on the list Italian. what's your role of I mean, choice i can't say one it's no. lunchtime so anything sounds, <laughs> sounds <Yeah>. good right <laughs> now sorry <laughs> Well, last question, and then I'll let you go to lunch. Um, what is the number one reason why more women should work in manufacturing? Um, why not? Um, I really think women should make the their own path. Uh, and I think manufacturing has a lot of opportunities. If you love to problem solve, if you like to prove yourself, uh, if you like the challenge of doing better every day and finding new opportunities, manufacturing is a great place to uh, work. I like that angle of if you, if you like to prove yourself. To yourself. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody yeah. else. It's all about, right. you know, we're, we're on this earth, we're passing by, and it's all about how good um, you can do based on what's given to you. And then you can change the story if you wanted to. It's just connecting with the right people, working hard, and taking risks um, can change can change your life and can make you a better person. At the end of the day, all we have is is ourselves and the time that we have here. That is an excellent note to wrap things up on. Poetic. Thank you so much, Natalia. This was an awesome conversation. <laughs> You're an incredible role model and you know success story. So really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Um, if anyone who listens to this episode wants to get in touch with you because they want to work for you or they want to learn from you, um, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can go on our website, www.m-reng.com and uh, connect. Uh, and just say, hey, Natalia, I'd like to talk to you. And, you know, I, I played forward all the time. So somebody has a career decision. I just had a call yesterday. I did some presentation. They found me and they said, hey, I'm at this pivoting point in my career and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Sure, not a problem. It was the best for only 30 minutes in my month. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I, I, I'd love to share my experiences and my point of view and you know if you want to do nothing with it great yeah. <laughs> if you want to um i uh, want some help i'm ready to be available. that's very generous thank you so much 
Well, I'll let you go have some lunch. Hopefully it's sushi. Um, But thank you again for your time, Natalia, and for sharing uh, all all your stories. It was great to chat and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll talk in 10 years. Yes, (laughs) hopefully sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Das vidanya. And spasiba bolshoya. Bye-bye. The Women of American Manufacturing podcast is brought to you by Paperless Parts. Paperless Parts empowers job shop and contract manufacturers to modernize and grow using the company's secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based estimating platform. The software streamlines manufacturers' existing workflows by combining business process automation tools and a proprietary geometric pricing engine to power configurable formulas that drive estimating consistency and accuracy. The platform integrates with ERP systems to level up front office business operations and customer communication and enables more efficient responses to RFQs for a variety of manufacturing processes, including sheet metal fabrication, CNC machining, and additive manufacturing. Over 1 million files have been uploaded and analyzed through the platform to support the estimating process for manufacturers providing components and assemblies for the aerospace and defense, medical, semiconductors, and industrial sectors. Privately funded by manufacturing industry experts, Paperless Parts was founded in 2017 and is headquartered in Boston. You can learn more at www.paperlessparts.com.